Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Hey everyone, it's Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. On our show today, we have Adam Tishman. Adam and his two co-founders, whom he met at Wharton, during the, doing their Wharton MBAs, that is, um, started a company that could be crucial to you. It's, it involves one of the most important purchases that you're going to make because you sleep, say, seven, eight hours of every day. Um, go to helixsleep.com and you'll see um, their really novel approach to selling uh, mattresses online where you can customize your feel and get it shipped to you in only a couple of days in a uh, in a package that pops up and your mattress is there uh, is there for you. Adam um, came to HelixSleep.com in a uh, in a in a roundabout and interesting way. He was uh, at a print, at Princeton. He was a uh, he was a Neary Studies major, and uh, and then he started his career in banking, um, switching over to a very entrepreneurial marketing job uh, at uh, Sheets, which is uh, check it out. It's a, it's an interesting product as well that he had uh, celebrity endorsers like LeBron James uh, promoting for him, and had some some novel uh, novel marketing techniques which you can hear about on the show um, before he went to Wharton, where he decided he was going to, he met his co-founders and decided that he was going to solve this problem for all of us. Adam's an energetic guy. Um, we really enjoyed the interview with him. And so I will skip the intro. Uh, I'll end the intro right here with one caveat. That is that um, we're now trying to get people to rec- to uh, to review our show on iTunes. So if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the show, we want to get more listeners like you. We want to keep the show going. We want to please our sponsors. So please go to iTunes and give us your review. Um, and without further ado, here is Adam. Great, Adam. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I want to I want to get to Helix uh, for sure. But at VFA, you know, we're trying to get more um, college kids to be entrepreneurial early on in their lives. And you're clearly an entrepreneurial guy now that you've got your your own business, Helix, up and running. Um, but I'm curious about your first professional stint after you graduated from Princeton. You did six months of banking, um, a year total in banking and real estate. What led you to finance? And more importantly, what led you out of finance? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my junior year at Princeton was thinking through different opportunities of what I wanted to do after school. Um, at that time, sounds like a really long time ago. It was only maybe you know seven seven years ago. But uh, banking, re- banking, recruiting was very very uh, strong on campus, and they came in, and I was actually a medieval European history major. So perfect um, for banking. Yeah, pretty pretty clear you know segue into <laughs> into that sort of industry. Um, no, but in in all seriousness, they came. They they had a good pitch. It was really strong sort of brand recognition on campus, and I s- decided to give it a shot. Um, what's great about today, both at the undergraduate and at the business school level, is you're seeing so much more 
activity from startups recruiting actively on campus for non-technical roles, which is something that you know I'm certainly personally passionate about. Um, back then, it was specific. You know, if you weren't a developer or a designer, it wasn't you weren't interesting the startups. But today, there are so many opportunities for people to do biz dev, marketing, all these other sort of opportunities, and so. I like that there's been a progression from from then till now. Um, I worked in in finance. It was not for me, though. I understand. You know, I have many friends who still who still work in that industry, and ultimately uh, made the decision I wanted to do something a little bit more creative, a little bit more entrepreneurial, and really understand the companies, the inside of the company, rather than as a number on sort of a balance sheet. Um, so I ended up uh, through networking, getting a job at a brand incubator. In the city, uh, the brand incubator was called 100 Mile Group, and what we did there was team up with emerging startup brands, so brands mostly in the CPG space that essentially trying to take them from first to third base in terms of growth trajectory. Um, as part of that experience, worked with a lot of passionate entrepreneurs, and it really sort of blossomed a lot within me. So, uh, FYI, I'll let you off the hook because I, I also did, I did a year and a week in uh, in banking. Oh, there uh, you go. Well, you beat and, me then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or, or I might have lost. Uh, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> I, I was trying to do an exact year, and they asked me to stay for one more week. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, fine. Um, but I'm curious, like the 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 moving on to oh, sorry, hundred was hundred brands, hundred uh, mile group, hundred mile group, right? Um, uh, you know, was that where you kind of like? Because I, I know you were well, you were you know, director of marketing and BD at Sheets. You, we'll talk about that in a second. Yep. But was this sort of where you had an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial awakening, or were you always kind of an entrepreneurial guy and just kind of said, "Hey, I want to, you know, I want to pay my dues in banking and and learn a lot about broad industry." You know, where did where did the entrepreneurial yeah uh, definitely come from? it definitely was something that I had always sort of had within me. It's funny I talked to my. I was talking to my parents about this recently, uh, shockingly, and um, they showed me a letter I'd written to the Hershey Corp with a new candy bar suggestion when I was about six years old. Um, I like to think that's when it really started. All right, but, all right, all right. I got um, you What was the candy bar suggestion? What, 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 it uh, was a white chocolate bar with uh, rainbow sprinkles in it, which they said to me they couldn't take outside suggestions, but I'm pretty sure they have that candy bar now. So... <laughs> It's unclear if I'm owed oh, so some some sort of like odd royalty, uh, you know, twenty odd, twenty five odd years years later. But um, that was something that always was, you know, I was always passionate about at at undergrad. You know, Princeton wasn't a school that had a like a specific business program, but I tried to take various entrepreneurial focused courses, and um, it very much was I wanted to give finance and banking a shot, and then try to move into a more entrepreneurial area. So you become the you become a you, know, you 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 find your way to to being the brand manager for for Sheets. Tell us a, a little more about what what Sheets <laughs> is, but also tell us about how like it, as I did my research, it seemed like there was a pretty entrepreneurial, marketing edgy kind of you know marketing program there. I and mean, tell us some of the strategies that you guys employed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's always funny now that you know I, I am a co-founder of a mattress company and I used to work at a company called Sheets. They, they are unrelated. It's I don't have this weird. <laughs> specific affinity for beddings only. I'm so disappointed um, in myself that I didn't make that connection. Yeah, but uh, so Sheets was a line of dissolvable energy strips um, founded actually out of the brand incubator that I worked at uh, in in coalition with two other entities, one of which was LRMR, which is LeBron James's marketing arm. Um, we just had some cool celebrity connections and we sort of built the company out. It was a really awesome 
experience on our end. We had all these great endorsers, so LeBron James, Serena Williams, Pitbull, some of these other kind of crazy athlete and celebrities. And we were able to grow that out to about 40,000 retail stores throughout the United States. Um, having said that, it was very much retail focused. And so the mar- you know, we came up with marketing strategies that were uh, you know, very loud and splashy and you know, edgy, for, for lack of a better word, but not wholly analytical in, in thought. And um, I think that one of the big learning experiences from my end there was you, know, you hear a lot about people who are super analytical and they only think about the numbers. And then you hear a lot about these crazy, crazy edgy marketing opportunities and you really can't be successful unless you sort of think through both, like the strategic part and the messaging part. What the? Okay, I mean, you, you're just teasing us there. So, what were some of the wild uh, <laughs> attention-getting uh, strategies? You so had we we launched a uh, YouTube campaign and a um, out-of-home campaign with the messaging around people taking a sheet at various locations. So it, there would be a doctor who said, "I take a sheet in the office." Um, a basketball t- player saying, I take a sheet in the locker room before and after the game, um, sort of referencing. I think we know what you're referencing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that, that's fairly edgy. I'm assuming you're using a different strategy at Helix. But is we there, are. Is there anything that, you're, is there anything that, you, that you took away from, from, uh, from sheets that you're, that you're employing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I'm taking away that a, a lot around the, the messaging in terms of being loud. Like It's important to have a message that resonates with your core customer. And so at Sheets, we very much were targeting a young, hip, edgy consumer, probably 17 to 25 in college. You know, we, we branded it almost as something that you could take during a pregame. Um, Helix focuses on a different consumer, but I think the, the biggest message is find who your customer is and then speak the language that they want to hear. So you're presumably having having fun at Sheets, your you know LeBron James and uh, and edgy campaigns, etc. You know why leave? What what led you to to want to to want to go to Wharton where you got your MBA? Yeah, absolutely. I think the crux of that decision was based in personal development. So the company was doing well. There definitely were decisions that I wholeheartedly agreed with, and other ones I think we probably could have done a better job at. You know, learning pains are associated with any business, but from my perspective. I didn't have a business background from college. I had, you know, some great experience in finance and some really good experience um, at the brand incubator and at Sheets. But I really wanted to broaden some of my skill sets, particularly particularly around sort of analytically looking at data. Um, and then also, I wanted. I thought it was time in my life where I wanted to sort of start something on my own. So I, I really went to business school with the goal of honing a skill set and starting a company. And and Wharton, aside from obviously meeting your co-founders there, how how instrumental was Wharton in your development? Yeah, absolutely. I think that business school gets a a mixed rap when it comes to entrepreneurship. You know, some some schools people are like, yeah, go there and you'll be an entrepreneur, and others not so much. And the reality is, in order to get into the world of entrepreneurship, you really have to be around people who do different things. And so, one of the greatest parts of business school was being surrounded by classmates and teachers who had vastly different experiences um, in their professional and personal personal lives, which is hugely important to fundamentally changing the way you see the world and understanding problems and all that kind of stuff. And then on the flip side, there really are tangible benefits to learning about, like entrepreneurship is, is certainly something that is 
learned as you go, but there are a lot of things along the way that you you can sort of take with you from from like a classroom setting. Right. I I, I, th- I think I agree with you a lot there. That I, I think some aspects of entrepreneurship are innate, and some actually can be learned. Um, one of the things that I've learned through doing the podcast, actually, as I've been, you know, I've, we're probably up to 30 guests now, if you include the, un, the unrecorded shows that will soon be released, mm-hmm. uh, is like, I've been, I think I've noticed that a lot of entrepreneurship comes from problem solving, from people who maybe have the entrepreneurial mindset and are always looking for opportunities, but... You know, it's not like white space. We're like, okay, I'm Elon Musk. I'm in a, I'm in a dream of like people going to space and commercial aircraft or whatever. Yeah. Where it's like there's a white space. And I'm just dreaming of the next big thing. That's very unusual to me. I think that a lot of it is is a lot more along the lines of, like, hey, I just stumbled upon this problem. It bothers me, and I'm going to solve that. And it seems to me like that's the genesis of Helix. Like that's what I read at least. You know, um, that that you guys sort of stumbled upon the your, you and your co-founders each stumbled upon problems. Can you share share the problems that that you guys found when you were mattress shopping? Absolutely. You know, I wish I could say. That we were just a bunch of Tony Starks, just writing, you know, writing code on a, on a wall, and all, everything just just grew out of that. But it really, it really came down to the three of us moved to Philadelphia, all separately went, and we didn't, you know, no one knew each other. We all separately went to buy mattresses and sort of had a shared terrible experience in very different ways. So Christian, one of my co-founders, ended up walking to IKEA, bought a cheaper mattress because he got fed up with sort of looking around. And ended up returning it because he just didn't like it. His back was hurting him so much. Jerry bought a mattress online and was confused by the lack of any choice. And he ended up returning his mattress also. And um, I walked into a local retail store and essentially paid an embarrassing amount of money, which I frankly do not want to say on on this podcast. <laughs> um, and we 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 started talking about the, you know that experience and why was it so difficult to buy what is such an important product in everyone's life. Um, Started talking to some of our classmates about it. Similar experiences across the board. You know, quick Google search. Every local retailer in our area had a one out of five Yelp review. You know, why was this such a bad customer experience? Um, At the same time, we all were looking really heavily at the e-commerce space and, you know, using e-commerce and direct-to-consumer as a way to really improve business models. And we essentially found that the mattress industry had a lot of metrics that allowed for an e-commerce type model to give a lot of benefit to the consumer. The um, so like the, the story that I read was that is that you and your co-founders met over a beer. Was this like a spontaneous like with three guys meeting over a beer and just spontaneously griping about mattress purchases? Uh, is, uh, tell, give me a give me a picture of what. Yeah, happened. absolutely. It's I guess it's the business school version of you know working in your garage <laughs> in Silicon Valley if you're a bunch of engineers, but. Um, yeah, we. I ended up meeting Christian pretty randomly at a um, at Neil Blumenthal, one of the founders of Warby Parker, came and, and gave a talk, and it was a smaller group setting. And Christian asked a bunch of questions that I thought were, you know, very interesting, and, and as did I. And we started talking. We didn't know each other beforehand, and he mentioned that he had this other friend Jerry who was interested in in this space as well. And we just went and got a beer at one of the local pubs in Philly, which I highly recommend, and um, ended up sort of t- chatting through different opportunities, went back to the drawing board and sort of worked through the problem. So I, I've had so many beers with friends where it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's awesome. We're going to do this thing. And then everyone sobers up five days later. And it's like, wait a second. It's, you know, I don't know. In this case, maybe it's it's way too expensive to ship a mattress, which it, it obviously isn't. Um, but how did, you, how did you go from like, how, how long did it take from that beer 
three guys talking to actually being like, no, we're seriously onto something and we are going to commit to this. Like, was it on the spot commitment that was yeah. real or was it, did it germinate yeah, I mean, over time? I think the key is to, you know, have a few beers, not too many beers. You know, is my <laughs> suggestion that I would give to you. But um, it was pretty soon after. So we all kind of went back, investigated a little bit more. Christian had already thought about it a little bit before. I think that's huge, is like a little bit of preparation before. And we really quickly looked into the into the area. We started looking through, and this was about ha- a little before halfway through my first year of two in business school. Um, and so we worked on it pretty strongly that those six months, and then for the next the next year and a half till till graduation. And there, you, notably, you have three co-founders, and and you know that's. Like I'm a soul, I'm a sole co-founder of my business, and and uh, and so I have my own biases because I couldn't imagine working with other people. I don't know; yep. it's just the way I am, which I think is is unusual, right? I think so many entrepreneurs say find a good co-founder, mm. but from the beginning, was it like all three of us are going to work on this thing, or was it hey, there might only be room for two of us, or like, how did you determine how much muscle you needed? Yeah, we definitely wanted all three of us to work on it full time from the beginning. Uh, it's just a massive endeavor to start a company, especially, you know, if you're doing it at in business school or with another job, perhaps, or at any moment in your life where you have other aspects that take time. And the predominant reason for the three of us was not so much necessarily a bandwidth issue, but more a skill set issue. And so we really thought, from a business perspective, the three of us had complementary skill sets. So I come from like a startup marketing background. Christian comes from consulting and Google a little bit more analytical. He worked at Harry's, the shaving company, for a while. And Jerry has really strong finance and manufacturing experience, actually working as the general manager of a paper bag manufacturing plant for about a year, for actually two years. And so we knew that you know this e-commerce business would have an analytical focus, a marketing focus, product development focus, and then a really strong manufacturing focus as well. I digress, digress for one second and, and just give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Squarespace. Uh, we're thrilled that Squarespace is so supportive of Smart People Should Build Things and the work that Venture for America is doing. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a chance to sit down with their former CEO, Dane Atkinson. And uh, you know, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should download it now. He's a fascinating guy and was one of the key players during Squarespace's early days. And actually, has a very novel, uh, thoughtful approach to building a company um, and all sorts of issues around how to create a culture. Um, you know, I say this not just because Squarespace is sponsoring the podcast, but because uh, Squarespace sites look incredibly professionally designed. I know that because uh, we've, we've, we've created one ourselves. Um, you don't need to know how to code to access their intuitive and easy-to-use tools. You can really just have a beautiful website regardless of your skill level. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering their sites to ensure security and stability. They're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. The website starts at $8 a month. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today with no credit card, require, credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the, the offer code SMART to get 10% off your purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Okay, back to Adam here. I, I'm curious what that is. So you mentioned that your partner had manufacturing experience, which I, I think is obviously crucial because I think so many of us think of modern entrepreneurship as like we're just providing a service or, as we talked earlier, maybe an app and it's doing something for you. But there's, there, it, we, there, it's rare that like these days we hear about a, a, a change with like a physical product mm-hmm. and you guys are doing that. How did you guys have confidence that you could build a better bed? Like what kind of, how long did it take for you to, for you to say like, 
okay, we know, I'm assuming, nothing about beds, and now we're going to be experts in beds to the point where we can manufacture a better bed. So the story uh, starts like any nerdy business school with a ton of research. So we did tons of research into the mattress industry, both manu- how they were manufactured, material, material science, all this kind of stuff. And you know, we were looking at what existed in the world. And you know, and again, I come back to, <clears throat> excuse me, what were the big problems? And so when we look at the mattress industry, we see three big problems. The first is that prices are really expensive. The second is that products are really confusing. So, you know, if I were to say to you, do you want to pay an additional hundred dollars for a soy HD polycore? That doesn't really mean anything to most people. And the second and sorry, and the third is that the customer experience is just terrible, right? Harkening back to what I was telling you about with our own personal experiences. And as we looked at these three problems and we saw the solutions that other companies were coming up with, we saw, okay, there's this retail opportunity, which has existed for a long time, and this is where like these main issues are happening. And there are some of these budding online companies which have said essentially they're trying to solve these issues through what you know what we call a one size fits all or a one feel fits all model. And the idea on their end is, you know, products are expensive, so we can go direct to consumer. Um, the in-store buying experience is not so great, so we will sell online and give you a beautiful website and experience. And then in terms of product confusion, you know, products are confusing, so why don't we take away choice and we give you one option? And you know, that's somewhat elegant in its simplicity, but we, you know, through a lot of research, we saw that that almost does a disservice to the customer. Um, you know, there's mountains of research that show that mattresses are, are one of those products that we actually all have different needs and preferences. Um, needs based on your body size and your body type, preferences based on, you know, do you like a firmer or softer feel, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, through and that, and we saw that at research and you see it uh, in stores, right? If you, you know, 15 years ago before any of this online e-commerce mattress stuff existed, you walk into a store, there's more than one bed there. And there's a reason for that. And... After delving into the research for a while, we saw a, an incredible, you know, a pl- like a plethora of research around potentially customizing mattresses for different preferences and needs, and ended up looking at that research. We ended up partnering with a group of PhD researchers in sleep ergonomics and mattress, um, essentially mattress wow. optimization, uh, who are located in Europe. And we partnered with them. So <laughs> that was, crazy. yeah, that, it, was, it was actually, it was crazy because we ended up flying to Europe twice to meet with them. Um, the first time after we saw their research, we saw an email, we emailed them, they emailed back, we set up a Skype call, we Skyped them for about an hour, and then we bought a plane ticket and we flew out there and we <laughs> met them and we saw what they were doing and it was incredible. Um, and so that's a lot of the, the basis for the research side, like the scientific side. I'm imagining you're walking into a massive facility with tons of people just napping, wearing nightcaps and their thumbs in their mouths, yeah, no, pajamas. I, I, yeah, not, not massive, but definitely people, <laughs> people napping. Um, and so that was more on the research side. And then on the manufacturing side, as you mentioned, um, we ended up partnering with a uh, local mattress manufacturer who acts as an advisor for us, and he's helped us sort of navigate the manufacturing world. Um, you know, it's really hard for us because we because we customize each each mattress each mattress is individually customized and because that customization can be for an individual or for a couple because we can split the bed like the left side to one person and the right side to another person you find that it's 
from a traditional mattress manufacturer almost a nightmare, right? This is an industry that's used to saying, here's an order, it's 500, it's the same thing, make 500 of them and then put it on a truck and send it to me. That's not what we do. There's a lot more custom process along with it. And so we feel fortunate to have found a manufacturing partner who can handle both the sort of complexity of customization at the same time being able to do all the other like necessities, essentially. Well, I'm going to show for you for a second. Like, one of the things I really liked about your model <laughs> is that you, is it a hundred day guarantee? Like, Correct. Hundred days, and you can you can you can send it back. Which I remember when I bought my bed, I remember sort of going, I think, to you know, one of the big big retailers out here, and and lying on a bed for like. 30 seconds or a minute and saying like, I don't know, do I make my choice now? Like, do I, like, uh, I don't know, do I come back and like lie there for half an hour, read the paper? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So I, I like that. I think that's great that you guys have introduced that. I don't know if that's standard in the industry, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, <clears throat> um, you know, in general, not, not just for us, for any mattress, you don't, lying on a mattress for five minutes is a really, really poor indicator of if it's the right mattress for you. Um, it's almost like designing if you like uh, like a meal at a restaurant, like writing a review for a meal after eating the bread and the water. Um, the reality is it takes about two to three weeks for anyone to get used to any new sleep system, regardless of if it's a Helix mattress or any other type of mattress. And so what we really wanted to offer to customers was the opportunity to really love their mattress and if they didn't, to return it. And you know, we, you know, that's our goal is to sort of get every person their right individually made perfect mattress. And so, you know, we offer 100 nights, we offer free shipping, and we offer a 10-year warranty, just trying to make it as simple as possible from, like, the logistical side in order to make sure that you're comfortable. Right. So you, you said that you've, you, you have a partner in the manufacturing. Uh, I think he's in Chicago, is that right? Correct. And, and um, how did you find him? How did you do your diligence? How did you know he could do the job? And, and, and does that mean that you've kind of outsourced the manufacturing to this, to this company and, and you guys aren't sort of, you don't own the manufacturing, you just sort of give them the specs and, make, and, and, uh, and, and follow up and make sure that it's right? Correct. So we do not own the manufacturing. We have partnered with a local manufacturer um, outside of Chicago. Who helps us? We went through a long vetting process of multiple mattress manufacturers throughout the U.S. It's actually somewhat everyone knows everyone, but it's somewhat fragmented. There are actually there are a lot of them, and you know, I mentioned it earlier, but we really needed someone who we thought could give awesome quality, could handle the complexity of a personalized mattress with a custom label on each mattress and different sides and all this kind of stuff, and then also someone who had the necessary equipment. Right at the end of the day. Uh, we roll pack every mattress, which means the mattress gets essentially compressed, rolled up into almost like a yoga mat into one of that shape, and then put into a box, which is roughly the size of golf clubs, and then shipped individually to every one store set. Yeah, it's super cool. You check it on the website because it, it's it, you can see it kind of rolled up in the box in this octagonal box that it, it arrives in. That's you know aesthetically very nice, and um, you know it's really something else. Like I think we don't think of our mattress coming coming you know nicely rolled up. Is there is there much assembly to it, or is it just pop open and, and you're there? No, yeah, no. So essentially, the, you would get the mattress. Uh, rolled up in in the box, we we put it in an octagonal shaped box. So you, it's actually it's all of these mattresses are heavy, so you can roll it around your apartment and if it's easier to move. Um, you open it up in your bedroom. You essentially undo the vacuum seal, and then the mattress goes, and then it op- it opens up, and in about twenty minutes, you're ready to sleep on it. Full, ten inch thick, you know whatever size you ordered mattress, 
heavy everything. So well, I'm gonna date myself here, but I, it reminds me of the Jetsons, uh, which are <laughs> like a good I don't know 70s or something like that uh, cartoon that probably played in the 80s when I was a kid. Uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, so I'm curious, you, you know, you, you you've got some cool consumer insights. Like I read, you told Inc. Magazine most people in the Northeast prefer a firmer feel than those in the South. How, like, why is that? Like, like, how are you finding these? I mean, I guess you're you're finding it through purchasing behavior, but but why? What what do you surmise is the reason for that? Yeah. So, one of the great things about our business is we capture a ton of data. So, in order to personalize each mattress, you would fill out a very quick two to three minute questionnaire. So, questions on your height and your weight, um, questions on your sleeping preferences. So, do you prefer to sleep on your side, on your back, on your stomach? Do you get hot at night? Do you get cold? And then questions on your mattress preference. Do you prefer a firmer or softer feel? And other questions in that elk. Um, Based on your answers to those questions, we algorithmically map you to a optimized mattress. But we keep all that data, and we can look at it at the aggregate level in order to find some really interesting insights. So you mentioned the one about Northeast sleepers prefer a firmer bed. Um, We know that through customer behavior. It is one of those weird quirks. Um, Essentially, what it means is people who describe a bed as firm in the South tend to be describing firmness softer than people in the North. So it's not that people say something different, but we can actually tell that based on the way that you describe the feel is actually somewhat regionally dependent, which is, co- which is pretty interesting. Um, a bunch of other weird stats around position. So women tend to sleep on their side a little bit more than men. Um, your reported sleep quality consistently gets worse as you get older until age 50 and then it consistently gets better <laughs> um, and you know a few other things around um, age so people also are more likely to sleep on their back and stomach when they're younger and then when they get older more likely on their side hmm. which is it's crazy and you know it's it's one of those things where there's probably a medical reason <laughs> behind it right but we're just seeing the, the the customer behavior behind it. It's funny because I don't, I don't think I, I think if you would have just asked me point blank like how do I sleep on my side of my back I probably wouldn't even know. And then I, I realize now that I I think as I thought about it, I'm like I think I sleep on my side. Yeah. Um, so most people most people either have a dominant position. Some people move around a lot, but it's usually the position you wake up in in the morning is is your dominant. It's just so crazy because we what you know spend a third of our lives sleeping and and, yeah. and I, I'm not sure I've given it that much thought, which is. I, I'm, maybe it's because I'm unconscious the entire time. Or <laughs> Fair enough. I yeah. wake up eager to do things or something like that. Um, yeah, that, that, that's 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 really that's really interesting. And I mean, your consumer insights are continuing to roll in. I mean, well, tell me about you. You guys went live uh, about what three months ago? Yep. So we went live a little little shy of three months ago. Um, very you know awesome awesome response from our perspective. The customer feedback has been excellent, which is. You know the number one indicator that we're we're onto something. People are really enjoying the mattress. We've had a very large number of sales to couples. So hmm. it's funny. We you know here, here's one of those classic weird entrepreneurial stories. So we set out to do this. Always thought about it in sort of single bed mind frame. Uh, spoke with our manufacturer. Found out that we had this ability to do split beds for couples or blended beds for two people. And we said, great. You know, we'll add that as an added benefit. That that'd be great. And it's been such a powerful message to people. And what we're realizing is couples just really have a hard time finding a single product that works for both of them. And you know, we, we read crazy like we read a crazy stat the other day that about twenty five percent of married couples actually sleep in different beds. You know, not 
I'm not claiming it's completely because of the mattress. You know, there's probably <laughs> other things going on in there, but it certainly is based on. Um, you know, certainly the mattress has something to do with that. Well, what's, I actually I read something similar. I'm sure it's a different different article, but uh, um, something about like 60 percent of designers report that they're having two master bedrooms in new, or they're they're given the the option oh, wow. of two master bedrooms in in new construction homes. So that's crazy. I mean, I don't know. To me, that's crazy. Um, yeah, and you know, and so from our perspective, you know, you find a lot of variation in body size and preferences at the individual level and that's only multiplied significantly you know with couples and so we really try to give like an awesome solution to couples welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it this is smart people should build things the venture for america podcast so I think you shipped like virtually every state at this point. Every state. Um... Yeah. So yeah, we've so we launched as as we mentioned about ten weeks ago. We've shipped. To, so we shipped to the forty eight contiguous states. Uh, we have already shipped to forty five of those states. So there's there's still three holdouts that you know we're trying we're trying to get um, actively, but really encouraged by sales, really encouraged by low return rates, awesome customer feedback, all that kind of stuff, which has been you know super exciting on our end, and we're really looking at different ways to grow the business both organically and through different types of marketing channels. Can you can you ship to Canada, Mexico, France? Is it just is prohibitive to ship something that far? Uh, it's not. So uh, hopefully some exciting things along the way for, for some international expansion. I wonder if there's, is there all sorts of, I'm assuming that mattresses due to like flammability standards and stuff like that have different regulations in different countries and stuff like that? Yeah, so there's su- there's stuff with that and then just general tariffs and all that kind of stuff. So this is a, this is a $15 billion industry. Again, like I don't know what I was thinking. But as, as I was walking over, I was like, yeah, everyone sleeps. Everyone has a mattress. I think, how many, you said, how, how many mattresses are purchased in the United States? So it's about 35 million mattresses purchased per year in the U.S. Well, that's crazy. So, I mean, you need a, you need a, a a sliver to make this to make this successful. I'm sure you're not a guy who's going after a sliver, but um, you know, so much of entrepreneurship to me these days seems like it's, you know, we have to be a category killer and disrupt all existing players, and you know, it's winner take all. I mean, are you? Are, do you feel that way, or are you just? Are you going to be happy to just like you know take your couple percent of it, uh, which I think would be a huge amount of business, and and walk away? Yeah. So, you know, I think that this industry specifically. Others as well are so are so big that there's space for multiple very large players. Um, it's not I, we don't view this as a winner take all category the same way that it's not at the retail level. Um, super fragmented at retail and even at the manufacturing level, there's still you know four to five very large players in the space. Um, what's really interesting and where I think this industry will be, you know, in five or ten years is we see. E-commerce is growing immensely as a proportion of sales. So today, it's roughly, you know, the, the recent stats were four to five percent of the market, but the growth has been crazy. And you know, most analysts are seeing this growth will, you know, double or triple probably within the next three to four years. Um, so we see e-commerce is growing a lot. We're also seeing the specialty um, mattress industry, which is essentially our fo- our mattresses made out of foam, latex, and microcoils. Um, it's not a traditional inner spring mattress. Specialty refers to that foam latex category. That, as a percentage of the market, is also growing. And then we're seeing price point um, as a like as a percentage of sales is increasing. So, like essentially, the average price point has been increasing a lot. And what this is telling me is is, is a couple of things. So the first 
is people are really looking at your bed and sleep as an extension of yourself and how to be healthy, um, which is obviously you know in vogue these days and, and super important to to every individual. The second is that you know I think there'll be a bifurcation in terms of lots of different seg- segments going in different directions based on needs. And so you know our hope at Helix is not just to create a massive company, but it's also to educate consumers that as a product category, this is not something that has to be, you know, you don't have to walk into a store and choose something pre-made and see what fits you. It really can be something built for you the same way that a custom suit would be built for you or anything like that. So I promised myself that when we came in here, I'd I'd limit the number of sleep jokes and puns. Okay. But I got to ask this, what keeps you up at night? Uh, it's funny. Yeah. So since I, since I started a mattress company, uh, my sleep hasn't been great, but mostly, you know, <laughs> predominantly because the mattress has been fantastic. The mattress the, has the, been fantastic. Just a lot of things. So I think what keeps us up at night is just maintaining a really strong, a really strong product, right? So I want to make sure that the product itself is loved by our customers. And, you know, we take like any other brand, we've had returns, and at first, we were taking those very, very personally. Right. And it's important to sort of take a step back and see, you know, like you can't be the right solution for every single individual, but you try to, you know, strive to be as good for everyone as possible. So I think that's one thing that keeps us up at night. The second is this tension that we constantly have um, just in general, which is, you know, we are very analytical people. So we're super analytically driven. And you can almost be so analytical that it, inhibits growth because you want to like look at everything and run run numbers and just process everything really you know really in depth uh which can hurt speed um and then you see on the other side you see other founders who are like let's go let's go let's go but then they're making poor decisions and so there's a tension there where you can find sort of the right the right area where you're moving fast enough but you're making strong well-informed data-driven decisions and that keep like our balance there is something that i think about often so I'm curious about on a, on a personal note, you know, are you like you're obviously I'm, I, I've got to assume you're sleeping on your own bed. Correct. Did you go through your, 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 your family's one by one and say, I'm sorry, you got to chuck that mattress. I'm getting you a new one. Or were you, uh, were you willing to say like, OK, your next your next mattress has to be ours? No. Yeah. So it's funny. So, our, you know, at the end of the day, mattresses are expensive. And so a lot of our family and friends have been very supportive and, and have purchased. I am obviously sleeping on our own mattress, but, uh, you know, we won't, I don't push any of my friends and say, <laughs> it, you know, remember that time eight years ago on the playground where, where I helped you out with, with that thing, you owe me $900. So, um, it's something where, you know, we try to message it and we're, we're sort of comfortable with just everyone being supportive else, uh, in other ways. How many, how many nights of sleep did you have on your mattress before you started selling it? Uh, I had, so I had on my mattress probably maybe two months, but I had a long period on other mattresses that we were testing. So we went through a pretty extensive testing phase internally amongst ourselves with um, some of our classmates at Wharton, where we got hundreds of nights slept on, on those specific mattresses. And then the research that I mentioned earlier is based on studies with tens of thousands of nights slept. So we feel pretty confident in the sort of testing atmosphere before we launched anything publicly. So, so, has, so we talked about that beer earlier on. So between the beer and opening the doors with a product that you were like, we can sell, how much time elapsed? So 
the that beer happened in maybe November of 2013. So about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. So we worked on it the second semester of my first year at business school. All took summer internships um, in the summer between, actually because we thought we could hone some of our skill sets. So we all worked at really awesome e-commerce related companies and then essentially worked nine to six at those companies and then six to six to like 11 p.m. on, on Helix at, at nights and then worked pretty much full time on it um, through the second year of business school. Well, I, I'm, 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 I can hear even myself groaning at this last question, but uh, I, mean, I, I got to ask it, which is, you know, is this a place where you can get in trouble for sleeping on the job at Helix or can people sleep on the job? No, you know, it's one of our it's one of our big hiring selling points <laughs> is unlimited nap time. So we have we are we have a office um, in New York in NoHo which also has a showroom in it that we take customers and we take press and it's not infrequent to find someone taking a conference call or a quick nap on, on a mattress. <laughs> I'm going to stop in and I've, I've ever know how to stop in and, uh, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Adam, this is really awesome. Uh, really fascinating. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us and telling your story. Um, let me, I mean, is there anything else that, that we need to know before, before we wrap up actually, let me give you the last word. Yeah, no, I think, um, it's been awesome. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to talk through, from a personal level, you know, the journey from, from you know, college to becoming an entrepreneur, which I know is super important to uh, Venture for America. And then um, from a company level, you know, we love feedback. We'd love to hear from anyone. We welcome anyone into our showroom or at our website at www.helixsleep.com. Um, and, you know, happy to, happy to chat mattresses. Okay, thanks so much. I myself am learning a little entrepreneurship here. I got a tip for another podcaster, which is I'm supposed to say a few times, the beginning of the end, but only at the end today, I guess. Please, if you're enjoying our show, rate it on iTunes. Apparently, that is good for us, good for VFA. If you've been listening to these podcasts, um, it'll help us get uh, get more listeners and uh, more sponsors and keep this thing going for you as a listener. And he'll, he'll continue to hear great stories like Adam Tishman's story today. Thanks so much, Adam, for being here. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, and we'll see, we'll, you'll hear us soon. Um, so long. Good night. MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game! Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.